Ki ora nau mai, hoki mai, ki te whare karakia o te atua. Talofa and welcome to the house of the Lord. Um, special welcome if you're new in this place. And for those whānau who are returning, nau mai, hoki mai. Um, it's great to see you here this morning. But this morning we're going to start a new series in secret, it's called. And our topic for this morning is when you pray. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, here we are. Thank you uh, that you're here. We're here to meet you. We're here to hear from you. So, Father, we are open to your word. We're open to hear what you have to say. Come, change us. We don't want to go back the same. So, Father, I really pray that we will take something from your word this morning as you plant it into our hearts. That, Lord, that we will reflect who you are in this community, in this nation, in every doors, in every work, every corner where we work, where we go, that we will take you, that people will see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our reading is from the Gospel of Matthew 6, uh, 5 to 6. It should be on the screen, and let's read it together. And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, Jesus was teaching his disciples about what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom. So no nation ever had a higher ideal of prayer than the Jews. And no religion ever ranked prayer higher in the top priority as the Jews. But throughout history, certain things have crept in and has changed the practice of prayer. Certain faults, but these faults are not peculiar to the Jews. It happens anywhere. You see, as children, we were taught simple prayers that you repeat every day when you go, before you go to sleep, before you eat. Some ones, we are taught to sing the, the prayer of food, right? We still do it now, but you see, not many people know what it means. So it's like anything else. When we do it ritualistically, the whole system lends itself to formalism. So by the time Jesus arrived, the practice of prayers have become a religious activity and people were more concerned with action rather than their motivation. Their understanding of righteousness is defined by their religious rituals and their activities that they perform. But the text that we read, it shows clearly the distinction of the two types of people. One that Jesus prohibits and one that Jesus promotes. So Jesus used the hypocritical type of people to demonstrate what the disciple is not. In verse 5 says, and when you pray, he's talking directly to the disciples. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Our first point, know who you're not. See, to understand who we are not, we need to know who we are. 
So many problems that affect us as Christians begin with misplaced identity. You see, we have forgotten who we are. We are the chosen. We are purchased. We are commissioned by God. We are the citizens of the kingdom. And not just any kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus emphasizes this message throughout in Matthew 5. He said, you are the salt and light of the world. Then he goes on to compare kingdom living to worldly living. He says, you have heard, talking to the world, to everybody, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that anyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. For if you only love those who love you, what, what more, what reward do you have? So if you only, see, you're already seeing here the rewards tied to kingdom values. So if you greet your brothers, you're doing exactly what the Gentiles do. So Jesus says, you, disciple, therefore, must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that which of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Wow. That's harsh, isn't it? It sounds impossible to achieve. All right. To the disciples, this is so out of their reach. If those, the Pharisees who are dedicated to perfecting the law, Jesus is calling out for their righteousness that will never enter the kingdom. If we can't surpass this, we'll never enter the kingdom. What hope do we have as a disciple? But is it impossible? Of course not. The point that Jesus is saying, Jesus knew that none of his disciples as he called out of a normal person could get into the kingdom if they practice the, what the Pharisees is proclaiming. Their only hope is Jesus' kingdom. This is why the Holy Spirit was given, because he is the spirit of truth. He guides you into all truth. He will guide you into all righteousness. He will shape and prune you to be like him. So who are we not? Definitely not a hypocrite. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am not a hypocrite. <laughs> hey, by the way, what's a hypocrite? <laughs> you see, the Greek word for hypocrite, it means stage actor. Those who are on stage, that they act. All right. They don't, they, they say one thing, but act like another. You see, the hypocrites love to pray in public places. Now, Jesus is not condemning public prayers. What is prohibiting is the wrong motivation. You see, the hypocrite positions themselves in the corner of every sea, of every street, so they may be seen by me. They're drawing attentions to themselves. Jesus says to his disciples, 
just practicing your righteousness and living right is not just it's just not enough. He cares about the condition of your heart. He cares about your why. He cares about your motivation. If you know your why, you will go very far in the kingdom. You will be set free very easily and very quickly and you'll move on to the next issue that bring, comes your way. If we continue on living the way you do and not answer your questions, you don't answer why, you will be back in the same place here next year. I was sharing with my son how the Lord really set me free. Three weeks ago, I got really upset and I shared with Brother Jay. At work, I felt like I was judged wrongly and misread. And I felt like they judged my intentions and I was so upset. I was so angry that I, in the way my manager went about it, was I felt like it was so public. I was so angry that I even addressed her publicly. That wasn't enough. I even emailed her personally, privately. <laughs> and that wasn't enough. I picked up the phone and rang her privately. And if that wasn't enough, I emailed the CE privately. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, I said, I'm meeting you in the Auckland office. <laughs> she came up to the Auckland office. I didn't even want to talk to her. I just say, talk to my hand. <laughs> she came up to me and she said, can we talk? I said, sure, we can talk. So she was very apologetic straight away, went straight to the issue, apologized and owned every, every way in the way she addressed me and said, sorry. Was that enough for me? No. <laughs> I wanted to make sure she heard it, she felt it. <laughs> Direct from me. <laughs> I said, I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> My trust was here, is here. He said, I'm so sorry. I know I can understand it. I said, so long as you know, that's where we are. Anyway, I came home. I talked to my husband. I talked to my family. And then yesterday I was talking to my sister, and the Lord went, poof. I know your issue. You've become self-righteous. Because you think you're right. And you know, this is my why. <laughs> I love the Lord. I know I stand for what is right. I speak what is right. But when that self-righteousness become a point that blocks people from seeing Christ in you, you're in the wrong. I had to learn to repent and ask God for forgiveness and to set me free from self-righteousness. Why does Jesus care about our why? Why? Why does he care about our motivation? You see, as a citizen of the kingdom, he entrusts you with the secrets of the kingdom. See, when Jesus talks to his disciples, he often talks to them in a coded language that the others don't understand. In Matthew 13, the disciples say, 
Why do you always talk in parables? And Jesus said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not to them. So why would God trust us with the secrets of the kingdom? Because we are the citizens and we are his own. So when you pray, you're no longer a stranger to God. You're not a phony, you're not an actor. You're coming into a place of familiar place, the presence of your Father in heaven. Therefore, you don't pray with pretense or presumption. Have you read the Psalm of David? See, most of David's Psalms reveals that David prays from a place of intimate knowledge of God. See, when David fell to sin, he cries from a place of sonship. He cries from a place of repentance because he knew his father in heaven. Prayer invites you to have that intimate relationship with the father in heaven. You see, and when you're in that relationship with God, you will know his will. And when you know his will, you don't pray outside his will. And sometimes you know his will when you come into his presence. Sometimes the only words that come out of your mouth is like, your will be done. Your will be done, Father. It is well with my soul. Prayer is agreeing to the will of God. This brings us to our second point. Remember who you're praying to. See, how we view God determines how we pray. You see, when I was young, growing up in a traditional church, and before I became a follower of Christ, I used to be very scared of God. I used to think that God is so unapproachable and irrelevant and there's no interest in me. And I can never measure up to him. Until I came to New Zealand, and I, was, I wasn't living right, I visited my brother's church. The worship band was singing, Take My Healing to the Nations by Fort Fitz. And the words say, take my healing to the nations. Bind their broken hearts with love. Stretch my hands throughout creation with the message of love. As the worship leader repeats this verse, I heard the most softest whisper in my ear. Would you? Would you take my healing to the nations? I knew like I knew whose voice it was. He didn't reject me. I wasn't living right. But he embraced me with love. See, Jesus came to reveal the Father. His desire is for his disciples to relate, re relate to God as Father. John 14, verse 8 to 9. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know, Philip, I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, you go into the room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus saying, when you know who you're praying to, you'll come as you are. That's the mindset we need to have. That's the approach we need to take when you go into the presence of God. You don't go as a beggar. You go as a son of God. You go as the daughter of God. 
You see, some people find it hard to relate to God as Father because of their own experience. Can I tell you, that is such an unfair comparison. Because God is God. He is love. And finding love outside God is not love. We heard that from Pastor Jake last week. To know God is to know love. He loves you more than you know. As a matter of fact, he's in love with you. See, when somebody spoke those words to me, I was like, what? I know of people saying, I'm in love with you. It's my husband. Hope he still does. <laughs> but to hear that God is in love with you was strange to my ears. But as I grow matured in the Lord and I got to know him more and more, I've come to the conclusion he is madly in love with you. Because his love pursues you. We sing that song. We read that scripture. He pursues you until you come to the day of redemption. So when you pray, you're not praying to an unknown God. You're not praying to a distant God. You're not praying to a dead God. You're not praying to a statue made by a man. Ezra said you're not praying to a fake God. You are praying to your loving Father in heaven who knows you. So you don't use repetitive words when you come into the presence of God. In verse 8 says, that's what the heathen do. Don't be like them. We don't have to use many words to try and get God's attention. We don't have to demand God's attention. So Jesus was trying to tell us, you're getting the wrong picture of who God is. God didn't fall asleep and our means of prayer will wake him up. Don't think that way because before you even get to your praying spot, he already knows who you are. He's already got, you already got his attention. When you read that scripture, there's an implication the petitioner is in fact ignorant as to his own needs, like I was. See, if God already knows who you are, if God already knows your need before you open your mouth, maybe what we need to pray is an understanding of our own situation. Perhaps we need to pray for an ability to understand what you go through from God's perspective. Because when I found out from God's perspective, even though you think you're right and you feel right, but from God's perspective, I still had a lot to deal with. And when the moment I had that realization and understand that, it set me free. Our third point, rewarded secretly and openly. You see, there is reward in seeking God sincerely. Verse 6, but when you pray, you go into the room, and when you shut the door, pray to your father, listen, who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret rewards you openly. I love the New King James Version in English, Standard Version. They're very, very similar. You see, you notice that the father is in the secret place. He sees the heart. He sees the one praying in seclusion 
but he hears the prayers of those who praise to him rather than those who pray for others to be saved. Because you can go to in a secret place, secluded away from everybody, and you're not praying to God. But he sees the one who prays to him rather than those who try and impress others. See, it's natural to want recognition. But what happens if our good deeds are not recognized by others? Jesus said, if you pray for the sake of being seen, that's all you will get. If you want your name on that plague, or if you want your name on that flag, that's all you will get. He said the reward is for those who seek him. Now, what is a reward? You know, it doesn't say you will get your reward when you get to heaven. But it says that your reward will be given to you by your Father that is in heaven. Because often we think you have to wait to get to heaven to get your reward. If we always think that way, the only time we get rewarded when we get to heaven, it will defer hope. Right? You will know that it will defer your willingness. It will just delay any other passion or desire to seek God because what is the benefit for me right now? The point is, it's not when we get our reward, but from whom. And for Christians, there's no other better reward than the approval of God himself. The reward in the secret place is him. I realized what I was after, what I was looking was approval, was somebody just to tell me, you were right. Don't seek approval of man. See, inwardly I was satisfied. Outwardly, my relationship with my manager and the other girl has been restored. Can I have the band to join me, please? See, I was listening to a preacher who travels a lot and sees a lot of churches in the world. And he said, one thing he has noticed amongst the church communities and it's increasingly evident and very common in, very, in most churches he's been to, that there seems to be a greater faith in the return of Christ. There seems to be a shift that people are looking for Christ to come back rather than on the power of the gospel. In other words, there's a sense that people want Jesus to come back and fix things rather than him coming back to things that have already been fixed. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, Jesus loved the church. He said he's coming back for a church without blemish. He's not coming back to fix the church. He's coming back for a church who is already pure, walking in the light of God, ready to be the bride. You're the church. Don't wait until it's too late. I mean, the thought that Jesus is coming back to fix the church instead of the full effect of the power of the gospel. 
gives a sense of escape instead of demonstration. Yet we have a sense of indebtedness to the gospel, to the power, our obligation to see the power of gospel work through us, in us, and to the world. You see, slowly over time, your intimacy with God, the Father, you come to know him more and more. And then you will, you will always, and you will always drive, strive for his approval rather than the approval of man. The Bible, if you read the rest of the scriptures, it says only those who seek find it. Why doesn't God lavish it out? Because these are treasures. These are treasures. You read in chapter 7, it says, don't give the treasures to the dogs. Why? They have no idea. They will trample on it. The treasures is for the citizens of the kingdom. We go through stuff. Everybody goes through stuff. And I don't know what you're going through. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be a rejection for that job you've always wanted. It could be your kids walking away from God. Or whatever that you're going through. See, whatever we're going through, these things are invitations for you to come to the secret place. The problem with most Christians, they wait until Sunday to get their daily nutrition. It doesn't work like that. It's never enough. We have our prayer and fasting starting, starting today. Again, God is providing this opportunity to invite you. Come into that secret place. Be transformed to be the likeness of Christ. Experience the power of God in another level so that you go out and touch lives and heal the sick and proclaim the good news of Christ. I don't know where you're at with your walk, but let's pray. Dear God, We love you, we adore you, we bless your name. We thank you that you're always, always gracious with us. We thank you that you are in love with us and I pray that we too will see that, that you will open our eyes and every heart in this room and they will see that you have such a great love for them. Father, as we go through the 21 days of prayer and fasting, that you will reveal the secrets of the kingdom to us. That you will keep us accountable to walk in righteousness of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, why do we put our hands together for Pastor Queenie this morning? Amen. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you don't know what it means to come into loving fellowship with Jesus, you don't know what it means to give your heart to God, to give your heart to Jesus, uh, I want to give you this opportunity. You know, oftentimes when we pray, even from when we're really little, when we pray at the end of every prayer, we hear these words, in Jesus' name, amen. And we constantly hear this, in Jesus' name, amen. 
But I wonder how many of us actually know what that really means. Because to say in Jesus' name is not just a magical formula to get, or it's not just a stamp to get your prayer and your requests, you know, guaranteed. But I wonder how many of us actually realize that to say in Jesus' name is to acknowledge that Jesus is the only way. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus is the only way. And so if you are here and perhaps you are far away from God or maybe you were walking with God and you've kind of walked away from God, I want to give you this opportunity this morning. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. But you need to know this morning that the God who created this entire universe is the God who created you and me. He created us to know him. He created us to come into loving fellowship with him. He created us to enjoy a life in abundance with him. But the Bible talks about this thing and it keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also the Bible says that the wages of sin, the consequence of that sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in his grace sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty for sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I deserved for sin. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him, that's all we got to do, believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so you need to know this morning that God is extending to you right now His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus, put our trust in Jesus for everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away. Listen, friend, you've got no reason to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this room was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But I want you to know that we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. Lift your hand and you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I see your hand this morning. Thank you, my sister. I see your hand. There's one more thing I need you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is only just an expression of you putting your faith in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. But on the third day, you rose again. And so I turn away from sin. And I turn to you. Jesus, come into my heart. And into my life. I want to trust you. And follow you. As my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.